We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Great teams do lose games too, you know. And the Bills are one of those teams. They're 4-2. They're still doing great. Everything's fine. Allen's playing awesome. The offense is still clicking. And the defense just had a hiccup against Tennessee. That's okay. Things happen, and they lot. It's it's so weird. The Bills managed, and Zach, I'll get your input on this on this statement here. And I kind of want to see what fans' reactions to this statement are. The Bills managed to deserve to lose that game, but also lost it completely on a fluke. I mean, to me, it was just, it was Arizona last year, right before the bye. Like, we played like garbage. There were some, I think Josh had two interceptions. It, it was an ugly game. And yet they did enough to win, but then at the same time, they also deserved to lose. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, like, I, it's kind of how I saw it. Like, my biggest takeaway from that game was we are awful playing into a bye. Yes. Like, it, it is. it has <laughs> had a, a rough time the last two years of great seasons. I mean, we still look good. The passing, the passing game still looks good. But overall... Playing into a bye, we're not great. It's it's not only that it's not it's not great. It's also they're losing in the dumbest ways possible, and I say dumb as in like most unfortunate. Uh, yeah, you lost on a hail mary play a year ago heading into the bye, and then this year you lose because your quarterback, who's paid a bunch of money and is almost flawless at quarterback sneaks, slips after taking the snap. Like it's just the dumbest way to lose a game. It's unfortunate, but you did put yourself in that position too. So it's weird. They deserve to lose, but also they lost in the flukiest way possible. And I think I'm going to ask that question to Matt Perino, who's now uh, joining us on the West Hera Hotline, that, Matt, is it possible for a team to not only deserve to lose, but also at the same time manage to lose on a fluke? You know, just the, the week that's been since that game and, like, taking the temperature of everybody and going back and watching it, it's amazing how much expectations of change for this team because really they played really well kind of on both sides of the ball and it, and it comes down to one or two or three plays in a football game that can happen in any type of way to swing it if derrick henry if if, if there's a hold call on that derrick henry 76 yard run what's the game look the bills get the ball back after a third stopped by the defense they go down the field and finally score a touchdown because it's only a matter of time with this offense we saw it in that game and then all of a sudden you're down three scores in the first quarter and Tennessee probably has to start forcing it and Ryan Tannehill probably throws interceptions he probably starts to get sacked it's just like it's a funny way how the game goes I think it's hard to win in this league I think it's hard to win in this league on the road traditionally I know that those numbers are kind of skewed in recent years but I you know I, I was expecting I was at least in a place where I wouldn't be shocked if there was a little bit of a letdown after you take out the Chiefs. I mean, listen, they t- talk all about, like, it's the biggest game because it's the next game, but let's be honest, that Chiefs game had a lot riding on it for what this team, like the confidence level of this team, to be able to maybe knock off what I think will still end up being one of the top teams in the league in, in the Chiefs by the end of the season. You needed that game, and I thought there might be a little bit of an energy dump 
but they came into Tennessee. I thought that they played pretty pretty well. You know, Derrick Henry, you take away three or four of those big runs, and I thought the Bills did a lot of what they've done against him the last three times that they played him. So, yeah, I, I get it. Like, I guess you can you, you can make that argument like they deserve to lose, but you know they were in a position to win, and they it, most of the time they probably make that play. It's tough to win this league, and this this Titans team, like this Titans offense, is a lot better than what it played the first month of the season, and you can tell how dangerous it has the potential to be if Julio and AJ can stay on the field together. It's only a matter of time before they figure things out and start to get things going because you can't stop Derrick Henry and those two guys, I think, over the course of a four-quarter game unless you're a really, really elite defense. And and this is also an elite defense that didn't have their best game, and that's going to happen from time to time. And I think what you need, what you learn from that game is I think we've known now you know, since this team got good when the one side of the ball isn't having a day, the other side's got to pick it up. But the Bills, the Bills' offense almost did, but they didn't, and now they set it four and two. Matt Perino joining us here, New York Upstate, and of course you see him everywhere on Twitter at Matt Perino. And so Matt, this Bills team is just looking just as good as last year at this point, I think, offensively. But then the defense this year has managed to step up and get back to where they were a couple of years back. It's tough to see this team sitting at 4-2 and two because you mentioned the expectations and the talent and how it's played so far this season. It really looks a little weird that they're not doing better than that. You look at how they lost that game against Pittsburgh and everyone, after, after the next four weeks, everyone just kept asking, how did this team lose to the Steelers? Matt, going into the next slate of games, it's even softer. And that is probably going to do no favors to anyone when it comes to expectations, but also the biggest question of how challenging will it really be for them the rest of the way? The bottom line of this season is this is a group that has been together now for, you know, a good chunk of it, three seasons, right? So, like, that argument that, like, playing a soft schedule isn't going to get them ready for the playoffs, I just think that they got to focus on themselves and run their stuff and figure out, who they want to be, where they're most comfortable, and then attack those game plans when they come. But the most important thing about the season, I mean, it's Super Bowl or bust in a lot of ways. I mean, it, it, this is a this is a talented roster that you know went to the AFC title game last year. They're much better this year on both sides of the ball. They still have a t- an elite special teams unit. I think Isaiah McKenzie's been better than I even expected him to be early on. I mean, if they're holding building a call there on that touchdown run, talking about that 75 yarder to open the season, that run, I think he set them up some decent field position a few times this year. So you have all of that going for you. Um, but I think it does, it does come down to, A, staying healthy, and, B, figuring out who you know, you're going to be for when you, you do have these matchups. If you look at Baltimore, 5-1 and one sitting here right now. It's great, right? They, you know, Lamar Jackson is looking like an MVP candidate. But I remember the last time Lamar Jackson looked like an MVP candidate in September and October. We all remember that you know, one and done in the playoffs. That's when it matters. The Bills – have done this before. They, they've run off, you know, that this regime, this, this group, they've had regular season success. It's about playoff success. And to get it, you have to have the AFC spot in the Super Bowl run through Buffalo. And so it comes down to winning enough games to do that. The, the benefit for them is they had the type of schedule that should allow them to be in a spot to win it at the end. Uh, the Tennessee Titans' loss isn't, isn't great. It isn't helpful. But I also look at Tennessee's schedule down the stretch, and I have a hard time believing they're not going to lose three or four games, especially if, historically speaking, those receivers can't stay healthy. 
And so I think they're in a, a perfect spot. And I'm not concerned whatsoever about what happens in, you know, November and December. I'm concerned about January. You know, this is a, a, a group now that went through the gauntlet all the way to the AFC title game. And they, they felt the loss. They felt what they did wrong, where they fell short. I think that there's a lot of continuity in the coaching staff, you know, when they get back there to have a, a plan to adjust and, and replan when things aren't going well in a game. Um, so it's just about staying healthy and it's about getting these wins week by week all the way through the season and, and landing somewhere around 13, 12 or 13. I mean, really, you're probably going to have to win at least 13 to, to get the number one seed and probably 14. So there's not a lot of margin for error, but they just have, you know, luckily for them, they, they have one of the easier schedules in the NFC. So, Matt, it really is weird to think about it this way, that it is almost as if the rest of this season is non-consequential. Um, you look at it and you just know that they're going to be able to tell bad teams that they're bad because they've been doing it all year. And it's just a little weird, though, still for fans to not have to look at every regular season game as that measuring stick. So it's going to be an interesting rest of the way, like you said, all that intensity is going to ramp up in January all over again. So the big thing, though, is going to be how do they do against Kansas City, a team that they finally were able to slay that demon a couple weeks back. How do they do against Tennessee is a bigger question because of the fact that in recent history they have not done well against the Titans. Do you think that this is, and here it is, I hate this narrative, but I have to ask the question. This is the double-edged sword of living this kind of life. Um are they a bad matchup with the Titans or, say, the Cleveland Browns, run-heavy teams that are able to beat you through the ground and with solid defense? Potentially, like, they're definitely matchup, you know, snafus or problems, if you will. But what I think it comes down to is I don't think Cleveland's defense is as good as it's kind of been billed to be. And maybe they, you know, they get things together at the course of the season, but... I think they just played the Chargers, and the Chargers put up like 30-plus on them. So, you know, it is what it is. I don't. I think that they're a one-dimensional offense. I think if you can, if you go in there trying to stop the run and you say, okay, Baker Mayfield beat us, if I'm the Bills, depending on where you play that game, that's another piece of this. Like, you know, Ryan Tannehill, I know there was a lot made about the, you know, how many Bills fans were at that game, and they were, there were a ton. There were still a lot of Titan fans there. That's going to be a completely different environment. If you play that game in January, potentially in some weather, conditions and 70,000 screaming Bills fans in that building. It's going to be different. So that's that's where, you know, goes back to my original point. Like there we could talk about matchups and everything like that, but we saw what happened to Baltimore who, you know, had had been playing well and they took out Tennessee the week before. They came into Buffalo and their offense couldn't do anything against this defense. And so I think it's just about that part of it. You know, there's matchup, there's always going to be matchup problems. I think AJ Brown's always going to consistently do pretty well against the Bills. I mean, he's done that his, throughout his career now, but it's just about game planning, scheming up against them, and they got to be better in certain areas. Listen, this this defensive line—I've been talking about it all week. They can't go into a game like that against a, a, like a like an average quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, a, a bad offensive line that you know they're leading the league going into last week, allowing 20 sacks, and not sack him one single time. Like you can't you can't have that. That's completely, you know, underperforming. For a unit that, you know, there's a couple guys in that unit that make a lot of money, and there's a couple guys in that unit that have, uh, you know, a lot of high expectations when it comes to Ed Oliver. You know, Greg Rousseau has been playing well. A.J. Epinesa wasn't even active, which I still, still think is kind of a, a funny little development that happened that we, you know, kind of flew under the radar because of the craziness of Nashville and everything like that. 
But, you know, when we asked Sean McDermott about it, it was just like they want to get a couple, look at a couple of different matchups. And I'm like, man, we're like three weeks removed from that guy being the best player on the defense against the Dolphins. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things to figure out on that defensive line. Because it's kind of been an up-and-down season for them. When it's been up, when it's been good, you know, they were great against Miami and Kansas City, generating pressure with four. When it's been bad, that's what happened. And that allowed Ryan Tannehill to get comfortable, start getting A.J. Brown going, and then we obviously saw what they did in the red zone against the Bills. Matt Perino joining us here on the West Her Hotline. So, Matt, the big questions heading into the season, one of them was about the tight end position and what a nice revelation Dawson Knox had become and then in the perfect timing uh, ends up breaking his hand but not before shot-putting a two-point conversion. Uh, Just kind of showing how well his season has been going for him. What have you seen from Knox this year that uh, is more encouraging and how his role may continue to evolve going forward? I think it was always just about like a waiting game. Like we talked, we covered this on our podcast a lot over the summer. It's like, you know, I think that there's so many examples in the league, like for all the Travis Kelsey's or George Kittle's that, you know, get to, you know, figure it out really early in their careers. There's a lot of guys that it, it takes a little bit more time. And, you know, Logan Thomas, I think is a perfect example, has a career year what, six, seven years into the league, was an undrafted guy, former quarterback. Sometimes it just takes a while to work, you know, at, at your craft and figure things out. And what I've always liked about Knox is his physical attributes, his ability to get separation. When you can do that at the tight end position, that immediately gives you an advantage in the passing game. And I felt like there was no way that they wouldn't figure out a way to utilize that. It just came down to can he make the catches? Can he – can he eliminate the drops? And I think he started to do that towards the tail end of last year when he went and scored five touchdowns in his final nine nine games. I think over that last stretch there, he only had one drop in those nine games. And so the, the, it was starting to happen for him on a, on, a, on a smaller sample size. So it was just about extrapolating that to this season. And I don't think anybody, like I was pretty high on Knox. You know, I know Joe Marino over at the Draft Network. We had him on our show too. He was really high on, on Dawson Knox. But I don't know if anybody – would have gone into this season and said after six weeks he'd be leading the league in tight end uh, touchdowns. But this is kind of what the hope was. And what's funny is he's almost, you know, allowed Brian Dable to change the way that he approaches getting the target share in a game. Like, you can't just bank on, you know, dealing with the receivers and not having to worry about the tight end position anymore. Now there might be a game where Cole Beasley has only targeted twice and you know, Dawson Knox goes off for 117 and touchdown. Like, that's got to be in your game planning during the week when you're getting ready to play the Bills. And so it's just, I think, unlocked another area of this offense for Dable, who's been so creative and and his ability to get all these guys involved and and pick on certain matchups. I think I heard today that Mike Garofolo from the NFL Network said it's going to be about three weeks before he's able to return. That's not really too long of a time. I think Tommy Sweeney is uh, more than capable of filling in in the meantime and then letting these wide receivers go a little bit. And then when he gets back, gets ready, gets healthy, that's when uh, you know a, a nice string of games starts when they go to New Orleans for uh, Thanksgiving. So, Matt, um, the last thing that I got for you on, on this Bills team right now is just what – I know it's hypothetical because the NFL trade deadline is about as exciting as uh, watching an ant crawl on the ground uh, – are there any ideas or hypotheticals of like trade ideas that you would want this team to try to pursue at looking at bolstering the roster? Basically, my question being, 
if there was something you could see them adding for the sake of the rest of the year to bolster depth, what would you want it to be and what is the most disappointing aspect of the team, if there even is one? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not sitting – if I'm Brandon Bean, I'm not sitting there telling myself that there's anything I need to do. If something made sense, like, you know, if you can add an upgrade on the interior of the offensive line, which, you know, I think every, anybody would want to do that if they could, if that's, that, that guy's out there and it's not going to cost you too much, then sure, yeah, pull the trigger on that. Another problem that the Bills are dealing with the trade deadline, they don't have a lot of salary cap room. And to get a good player, you're usually going to get a guy that's making some money in this league. And so that's another challenge. Now, can it be done? Probably. I mean, most things can be done in this league. I mean, the salary cap is, you know, and I know everybody likes to joke about is it real or not. I mean, it is real to a degree, but there's also things you can do to manipulate and get things around and move some money around. I still think there's a couple contracts that they can uh, restructure to open up cap space. So, yeah, I think if you're asking me what position, like I've talked about this quite a bit this week, I'd, I'd still say it's on the defensive line. I think it's a def- defensive end. I like Jerry Hughes a lot. He's playing at a really high level. But I think that he would really benefit from playing a lot, like uh, opposite of, a, of somebody that's better, that's uh, you know maybe an elite pass rusher. Now, those, are, those guys aren't usually uh, available. I mean, you look at a guy like you know somebody I've been talking about on social media is like Camilo Mack, which, by the way, he makes a ton of money, and that would be almost impossible. But – you know, that's the kind of guy that I think you swing for the fences with. You know, when Kansas City was close and they went to the AFC title game and they lost to the Patriots, before the next season started, they, they swung a deal. They traded for Frank Clark. They gave him big-time money. And if you remember that playoff run, Frank Clark was a beast, really helped elevate that defense. And you need a, you need a pass rush in the playoffs to affect quarter. We saw it last year with Tampa Bay. saw it the previous year with Chris Jones and Frank Clark. And so can this unit, as currently constructed, give the Bills the kind of consistency in January and February to affect opposing quarterbacks? And right now it's kind of a crapshoot. So that, to me, is the position that I would target. The problem is, where, where are you going? Where are you getting a guy that is, is a significant upgrade? Because I think you've got a lot of talent here. It's just about who's going to show up and be consistent from a week-to-week perspective and kind of help Jerry Hughes, I think, who is always kind of dialed up to that, you know, uh, you know maybe just below that elite level. Matt? First off, thanks as always for joining us. And it's good to be able to talk to you again, my dude. Um, obviously, let the people know where to find your work. Always like people giving their shout-outs. Yeah, speaking of which, that's fitting. Uh, Shout Buffalo Football Podcast. You can find it on uh, – if you search Buffalo Bills on NY Up on YouTube, you'll find our page. Subscribe. We'll give you a notification every time our, one of our live shows goes live. We just had Jeremiah Searles on this past week. I'd highly recommend going back and listening to that. A lot of really good stuff from him. He was in the building with the Bills for a little over a year. So he's got some firsthand knowledge of how they do things. So I love to have him on from time to time, break down how this team is doing. And you can find all my work at Syracuse.com. Oh, and last thing, um, Walt looks like he's got a good vertical. I, 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 liked, uh, I liked his aggression going after that chew toy. Dude, I got. I think I'm, I've been playing too aggressively with him because he's turned into a, like a little biter. I think he's got some Jack Ru- Russell in him, but man, I've been I've been playing with him a little rough because I used to have big dogs, and I think I got to dial that back a little bit because he's been today. I, w- I walked down the stairs, he came running at me, went flying in the air right at my leg, and literally just clamped onto my knee. I'm like, all right, uh, <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, from from one beagle owner to another, uh, they're a trip. Uh- <laughs> We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. 
Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.